0: Hey guys, this is Nathan, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Millennial Apologist podcast. Uh, Sorry I haven't posted anything for quite a few months. Uh, We've been pretty busy uh, moving into a new house, an Airbnb in our house. Uh, We've done some travels as well, so just kind of got caught up with some other things, but I'd like to start putting out more episodes. And I figure uh, there's no better way to kick it off than for me to just give my testimony so you guys have a better idea of where I'm coming from. So in this episode, I'll basically just be describing a brief background on my life and how I became a Christian in the first place. And that story starts in 1995. I was born in a small California town called San Luis Obispo. And I was raised in a pretty lax Christian family. Um, had a mom, dad, <clears throat> older brother. He's older than me by four years. Um, parents are still together. Um, so, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a broken home or anything like that. Um, I was raised going to the public school system. And uh, we went to church most every Sunday. Um, my mom actually worked as a bookkeeper for the church for a while. Um, so I was forced as a kid to go to church every Sunday and youth group in middle school and I actually uh, hated going (laughs) Um, I remember one time I was probably about 10 years old and um, my parents were going into the sanctuary for the main service and I was supposed to go off and meet with the other 10 year olds and I was kind of out in the courtyard and I uh, as we diverged and I pretended to tie my shoe I waited like 30 seconds because I thought, okay, they'll go in the sanctuary and then I'll be out of their vision. And so I pretended to tie my shoe. After about 30 seconds, I got up and kind of uh, speed walked around the church. Uh, My plan was to just go back to the car and just kind of sit by the car for an hour and wait for the service to get out and then meet my parents after and act like nothing ever happened but unfortunately they did see me. I I think my mom said that my dad saw me go down to tie my shoe and then he said let's just wait and see what happens and sure enough they caught me and I had to go to class. Um, And then yeah middle school and my freshman year of high school I was made to go to youth group which I didn't like too much. Um, I was pretty self-conscious in elementary school and well, not elementary school as much, but more middle school um, when I started going to youth groups. So didn't like it, <clears throat> got, uh, you know, that, that just that heavy kind of anxious feeling in your stomach. I'd get that <laughs> before I'd have to go every time. Um, so yeah, didn't like it. <clears throat> uh, I was raised with Christian values, though. Um, I didn't really party or mess around much in high school. Um, uh, something though is that from an early age, I realized that what I was being taught in the public school system seemed to have conflict with what uh, the church was teaching me, namely, you know, like Noah's Ark, right? I remember being a young kid and thinking, huh, were dinosaurs before or after Noah's Ark? and just, um, you know, trying to reconcile, okay, the public school system, I'm learning, you know, the universe is billions of years old, man came about by blind chance and evolution, but the Bible teaches a vastly different worldview. And so I kind of had that um, internal struggle from a young age, and I recognized that there was a difference there. Um, And so I, I would say I was... I believed in God, um, but I didn't really understand key parts of the gospel as a child. Uh, Even though I did choose to get baptized in the ocean at around age 12, but um, I would say I wasn't actually saved when that happened because I didn't fully understand uh, or accept the core tenets of the gospel message. Um, So that's kind of a good background on my childhood. Um, and then kind of toward the end of high school I really started to get into working out and fitness um, basically to the point of idolizing it Um, because beforehand I I didn't play football or baseball or anything in high school I just played roller hockey for 10 years and volleyball for a few years Um, so I didn't have a ton of time being taken up by these other sports so I got into fitness and I fell in love with it but it got to the point where it really was an idol in my life and I just um, all I thought about was fitness and doing my workouts and um, my diet and all that and so uh, fast forward um, again no major tragedies really happened throughout my childhood even through high school Um, no major deaths of really close loved ones, um, no major trauma or anything, just, just your average, you know, middle, upper middle class life in um, sunny and 75 California. And so my first year of college though, that's when some things started to change. So I was worshiping fitness at this time and I went on this pretty intense bulk. So I gained 40 pounds in like two to three months. And I'm naturally a skinny guy, so I had to eat a lot of food. Um, A couple times I actually ate until I threw up. (laughs) That's how hard it is for me to gain weight. Um, So I went on this crazy bulk, gained 40 pounds, and then I cut back and I shaved off 20 pounds of that 40 I gained. And I was feeling really good. i was the the strongest i'd ever been um i got back to being lean um it was fun and then a series of events happened so first um i went on this bike mountain biking trek with my dad Uh, he loves mountain biking i don't really and i had not mountain biked in a few years up to this point um and he took me on this trail and there was a pretty technical part and i didn't like full out crash but i kind of it was like a minor crash it it seemed like i just was going toward a tree and i just kind of stuck my hand out to keep me from face planting into the tree and uh, i felt a sharp pain in my left shoulder and it hurt pretty bad but i just figured out it'll it'll heal up eventually um so we'll keep that in mind and let's fast forward a month from now or sorry a month from then um my shoulder felt better for the most part uh, but i was doing some kickboxing drills uh, with my buddy spencer and i threw a left hook and i just remember feeling just this gnarly pain in my left wrist and i was like ooh okay that's not good and a few weeks went by and it did not heal anytime i put pressure on it it was just a really immense uncomfortable burning sensation um and so at this time, you know, I already because of my shoulder, I wasn't able to go all out in the gym like I love to do. Um, so then you add this wrist injury on it, and I was pretty annoyed. Uh, long story short, I had to go through the whole process, you know, of getting an x ray and then getting an MRI and all that. And uh, come to find out, I tore my scapholunate lunate ligament. It's a ligament in your wrist that connects two of the bones in your wrist. Um, I'd recommend uh, looking at Google Images and looking at the bones of the wrist because that is a very complicated design by the way. Um, So anyway I tore this ligament and the doctor said you know because it's a ligament there's poor blood circulation so in order to have it heal properly we're gonna have to go in and do a surgery. And I was like oh great and Uh, what's even worse is i was you know going on forums on the internet and stuff and looking at um people who've had the same exact injury uh it seems like it's common in uh baseball pitchers for some reason and you know you go on the internet and look up anything medical you're gonna get the worst of the worst um I, i remember i read this story this guy he had this injury and it ended up i don't know resulting in his bones separating in his wrist and getting gnarly arthritis and um some death in certain tissues and long story short he was saying oh yeah he was gonna have to amputate his whole arm within a few years and then me reading that you know (laughs) the same injury i was thinking oh great okay um i was just looking at other forums and discussion boards saying how if this injury isn't treated soon enough it can cause um just some irreparable damage to the wrist. And some people get it so bad that they have to do a complete wrist fusion where they lose all range of motion in the wrist. And keep in mind, me being a very active person, someone at the time who idolized fitness, like that freaked me out to think that my body would be forever damaged and I wouldn't be able to do, I mean, a lot of the things that I love to do you know anyone who works out knows that you need flexible wrists for a lot of movements basically any pressing movement any shoulder press, any bench press, push-ups, whatever Um, so I thought wow this would be terrible, this would really limit me Um, so long story short, I or long story long, depending on how you look at it um, I had to go under anesthesia and get two screws put in my wrist and then I had to wear a cast for two months now, after I got these screws put in my wrist, I was on some pain medication. Um, and I don't know. It's What's weird is I felt fine while I was on it. But when I stopped taking it, that's when my body had a really weird reaction. And I don't know if it's because I never really did drugs or got drunk or anything. I didn't really experiment with chemicals in high school or anything like that. So... It was so foreign to my body. I don't know what happened, but basically um, I was on the pain meds for four days and then as soon as I stopped taking them, (laughs) I could not urinate. And just a TMI warning here, gonna go into a little bit of TMI, so if you're sensitive, you might have to put your earmuffs on. But um, yeah, so after four or five days, I went off the pain meds and all of a sudden I could not urinate i was like okay something's terrible terribly wrong um and i was just stuck at home because i had this cast on i was you know recovering still no one else was home Um, i was living with my parents still at this point Uh, mind you i was probably i was 19 right here um and so yeah i had to go to the bathroom really bad i couldn't do it um here's the tmi part so on top of that Uh, I had been constipated for six days because of the surgery and the pain meds and even though I was getting up and walking I was staying hydrated but I was really backed up and I I don't know what was going on but I was like panicking I'm sure that had a lot to do with it Um, I was extremely uncomfortable I was yeah basically panicking freaking out thinking okay my body's not working I can't go to the bathroom I really have to go And so um, I can't remember if I drove myself or my mom came back from work and took me, but we went to the ER and I had to get catheterized. And I don't know if you've ever been catheterized, but as a male, that is the worst pain I have felt in my entire life. Um, And I'm sure with my You know, I was so tense and in such a panic mode that that made everything worse. Um, But I'm not even kidding. I was screaming profanities at the top of my lungs for like a good minute while they were catheterizing me, freaking out. Oh, that was so uncomfortable. It was so painful to where afterwards. I felt like physically exhausted, just thinking like, okay, I I cannot go through that again. That was miserable. But they drained... um, a good amount, you know, around 1,200 milliliters of urine out of me, so I was really backed up, really in pain, and I was, uh, that helped though, that that fixed the problem, so got that, got some laxatives, um, and it's good to go after that, so anyway, that happened, um, mind you, this whole time I had the cast on for two months, I could not lift at all, and I was still worried mentally, thinking, oh no, what if I can't? ever lift again the same? What if my wrist is chronically damaged? Um, And so I was in a pretty dark place. um, And then you add to that uh, a few weeks before my cast is about to come off, my shoulder's still hurting. So go get an MRI on my shoulder. And sure enough, um, the doctor says, yep, you actually tore the posterior labrum of your shoulder it's gonna need surgery to get back to 100 percent and that was a major blow because I was thinking you know I was so excited to get my cast off in a few weeks and start to uh, rehab it and then get back to lifting as soon as possible but here's just another another brick wall and um, it's funny how superficial it is I don't know if if you're listening to this and you have not been bit by the workout bug before. I'm sure this all sounds so silly to you. Um, but for people who understand like how working out and fitness can really grasp someone and it's really easy to make that into an idol, um, you get where I'm coming from. Um, and if, if you don't just think of you know other idols you've had in your life that you've put as the top priority something that's worldly um that's that was this and at that this point you know i was believed in god had christian values but i wasn't truly saved i didn't understand the core tenets i never really researched the hard and difficult questions um which many tan uh, here's a little miniature tangent too it's a bummer that the church i went to they never really addressed these serious questions they never dove into apologetics and i think that's a major flaw with the majority of churches in the west today they will tell you what you should believe but they don't tell you why you should believe it and we need to work on having that foundation especially given our current climate of how society is today um, the cultural paradigm that's basically encompassed the whole west you know the secular thinking Um, This high skepticism about the Bible and Christianity in general we as Christians need to have a firm foundation um, And if you read all through the New Testament, it will be supported You need to be able to give an answer for everyone who asks you for the faith that is in your heart And there's plenty of examples in the New Testament of the Apostles using apologetics and pointing to prophecy in the Old Testament and other things to Validate and show others that this faith is legit, pointing to the resurrection of Christ, etc. But okay, <clears throat> in tangent. So uh, let's get back to my story. Um, yeah, so I was in a dark place. Found out how to get shoulder surgery. I was like, okay, great. So I had to have um, I, I had to go under anesthesia again for them to take the screws out of my wrist, and then my cast was off. And so mind you, this was two months from the first surgery. So we're at two surgeries right now. one for the screws in the wrist, one for the screws out of the wrist. And it was so funny. I remember when my cast came off, I could not move my hand at all. It's kind of funny, you know my my physical goal before all these surgeries was you know trying to deadlift whatever five hundred and fifty pounds. And then after the this wrist surgery, my physical goal was trying to touched my thumb and my pinky finger together on the same hand because my range of motion was completely gone and so i was um you know rehabbing the wrist uh, but i had a surgery scheduled for my shoulder uh, for like two weeks after my cast came off and i remember this was probably i think this was the darkest point of this whole time was um i was in between my wrist surgery and my shoulder surgery and i was going on a hike and i was i was stoked cuz i was like yes i can go back to doing some sort of physical stuff right now and i slipped on the hike and fell on my wrist that just had surgery that had no range of motion and i thought i re tore everything and man that was like pooh major just major acute depressive episode i was extremely upset about that um and this whole time you know I was just angry at God. I just thought that everything that was happening it almost seemed almost seemed too coordinated to be chance alone in my mind. And so I remember I would just curse God and I just thought to myself, you know what? If God exists, he must hate me. So whatever, I feel the same way about him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And when I slipped and did this to my wrist, that was like a major, probably the lowest point. I just thought, wow, I, I just destroyed everything. My whole left arm is gonna be, you know, never never the same, and um, yeah, it was really hard. Um, so anyway, I ended up not re everything, thankfully. And I got my other surgery for my shoulder. And I had a, it's called an arm immobilizer. It's basically like a really big sling that i had to wear for uh two and a half months and so i had that uh, surgery had this arm immobilizer you know my really like just anger with the world and god probably started um, when i found out i had to get surgery on my wrist so this is now a couple or a few months into the whole um anti-theist or atheist phase and um, after all the anger finally died down i kind of just felt like you know what whatever there's there's no God um, this whole I were just a cosmic accident um, and so I was really fascinated with the evolutionary worldview because um, I think R- Richard Dawkins uh, the head atheist of the world basically the most famous atheist, uh, he said something to this effect where um, you know Darwin made it possible for one to be an intellectual atheist Because of his hypothesis of evolution. Because if macroevolution never happened, then the only other explanation for how we're here is special creation. That's it. Either we created ourselves by blind chance and evolution, or we were created specifically by a god, by a deity. and so I was really fascinated with the evolutionary worldview. Um, would watch like evolutionary documentaries. Um, I watched uh, the, the Cosmos remake with Neil deGrasse Tyson, all that. And I was also taking my nursing prerequisites at the time. So I was just surrounded by biology, anatomy, um, and of course, in the, at a public university, you're just going to get evolution... Crammed down your throat that's the whole presupposition that they operate on there and so i was really just sucking this all in um i did start to notice though that there were a lot of leaps of faith being made Uh, for example i would you know look up some some supposed distant ancestor and they had all these um you know, drawings and sketches of it, and all this supposed information they knew about this animal, and come to find out all this information was based on a few bone fragments. And they thought they could reconstruct, you know, this animal's entire anatomy, its lifestyle, its mating cycle, all that. So I started to think, okay, that, eh, that's not very skeptical. Um, but I was still. A believer in evolution. I was fascinated with it. And I actually, this is the first major stepping stone of the turnaround here. Was one night I thought to myself, hmm, what do those stupid Christians think about dinosaurs? And I just, I wanted to see, you know, what a fundamentalist Christian thought about dinosaurs. So, I looked it up on youtube came across this guy his name is kent hovind um one of the biggest creation evolution apologists of our time uh he's done probably i mean hundreds, do- definitely dozens probably hundreds of debates he's made uh creation seminars um with the purpose of debunking evolution and looking at the evidence against it Um, But anyway, I came across this guy, and he started talking about dinosaurs. Um, And I just remember having this knee-jerk reaction to thinking, like, oh, this guy's so dumb. He's so brainwashed. Um, And that's kind of what I thought for that time. I thought to myself, you know, in this atheist agnostic phase, I thought, you know, people who believe in God or Christians, I think a lot of them are just brainwashed. They just do it out of tradition. And they just... um, Have to go to church because they have no moral compass of their own whereas someone who's an atheist they understand um what's right and wrong based off of their own intellect um which again i don't want to go down this whole rabbit hole but um i cover that that flaws with that thinking in one of my episodes debunking atheism long story short if atheism were true and we were all just randomly evolved bags of chemicals um, there and there was no God, there was no afterlife, no judgment, then there is no basis for morality. Um, so an atheist cannot logically defend labeling an action such as murder or child abuse as morally wrong. Um, again, feel free to listen to my previous episode on that. Um, and I actually realized that as an atheist because the logical conclusion of atheism is there's no meaning to life uh, there's no moral absolutes and there's actually no logical absolutes either because if your brain is also the product of random chance and evolution then there's no logical reason to trust your thought process anyway so i realize all that as an atheist um which the the belief that life has no value is a nihilism. Um, And so I'd say any uh, intellectually honest atheist will believe these things. If they follow their worldview to its conclusion, they'll understand that life has no meaning. Um, There's no moral absolutes. And so they'll kind of have to just live in society and um, borrow off of the Christian worldview. But anyway so i realized all that as an atheist and that also um, aided to me feeling you know sad about things but i come across kent Hovind, and he's talking about dinosaurs and i just realized huh i had this knee-jerk reaction to label these people as brainwashed idiots when in reality what do i know about dinosaurs other than what the public school system has taught me for year after year, I mean, year after year, I have been indoctrinated with the statement that you know the universe came into existence from nothing uh, about 13 billion years ago, and then Earth formed f- about four and a half billion years ago, and then all of a sudden, you know, the laws of science were violated: law of biogenesis, the laws of entropy but all of a sudden life just appeared out of the blue and evolved and that's how we came about. And because I had this worldview pounded into my head, I was conditioned to mock people who didn't believe it because I associated it with science. And what I loved about Kent Hovind was he made a really great point of saying, um, you know, a true skeptic, a true scientist can only take what we observe in the present because that's what science is, right? It's observable and repeatable experimentation. So by default, any view of origins is religious. It enters the realm of philosophy because nobody was there millennia ago to strictly observe how the universe came into existence. And so all we can do is look at the evidence and make the best uh Guess at what happened, the best conclusion. So, we're drawing conclusions, but the evidence itself is not um, hardcore proof of macroevolution. And so, understanding that this was not a battle between faith and science, like the uh, atheists like to label it as, instead, it is a battle between two faith systems, because any belief about the past takes some degree of faith and so this you know realizing this it really opened my mind and i thought okay he's got some interesting stuff to say let me listen to him and then i spent hours uh listening to ken Hovind, listening to debates um you know william lane craig versus uh, sam harris or christopher hitchens whatever so i listened to a bunch of debates Um, i read a ton of articles from both sides supporting evolution uh, supporting creation and uh, also, you know, looked into arguments for God's existence um, such as, you know, the universe having a beginning and there needing to be um, a, a prime mover um, or so one who started the universe's beginning. And so just sucking up all these arguments and weighing the evidence, looking at both sides. And I came to the conclusion that, wow, it takes a ton Of faith to be an atheist it takes exponentially more faith to be an atheist than to believe in God and I'm I'm a very skeptical person so even with all that evidence though I was still thinking huh I just need something more to really commit to this and so one night as I I still had my uh, my arm immobilizer on so my big old sling from my shoulder surgery So I had to sleep in a reclining chair uh, for a few months straight. So I was in the chair. It was about midnight. I had my arm immobilizer on. I had my blanket over me. And I just humbled myself as much as I could. And I prayed to God. And I said, you know what, God, if you exist, I know you can hear me right now. You know, if you created the entire universe, you're omnipresent. You should be able to hear me right now. And I promise you, if you give me a sign tonight, I promise I will believe. And um, it was pretty wild. So I've never had any sort of night terrors or nightmares or anything. Um, But that night, at about 2 in the morning, I woke up screaming at the top of my lungs. Like, I, I, I haven't screamed this loud. In my entire life and when i open my eyes my arm immobilizer and my blanket and my pillow are across the room um my bedroom door was shut and so was my parents down the hall but i woke them up they sprinted in freaking out i probably yell i've let out probably a good five or six screams. um i don't know lasted like 10 seconds or so My mom she she legit said that she thought someone had like broken into our house and was murdering me like these were horrific screams and i I still i remember the fate um like the way my face was shaped like the certain muscles i was flexing in my face when i was making these screams and it was it was like almost comical how horrific it felt and like my face i'm sure it It just looked like absolute horror. And from my perspective, there was nothing visual, so it was all black. But I just remember feeling like I was drowning in the most intense terror I've felt in my entire life. Like the, I don't even know how to describe it. Like the, and it's, it was almost like, you know, that fear, like when someone, like sneaks up behind you and shakes you you know that like split second you're up there you're you know your it's like your amygdala or something's just on overdrive and you're just spiked your fear is just spiked usually you come down from that really quickly but i was just up there for a good 10 seconds and i don't know if god was striking me with the fear of the lord um as the scripture says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom I don't know if he was saying hey if you continue to reject me this is just a small taste of what your eternity will be like without my love i don't know all i do know is that god knew what i needed to submit to him um and up until that point you know i was i was at first i was mad at the world i hated the world i i said to myself i hated god if he existed and then that hate died down and i was just drifting in atheism and the atheist life it's a it's a sad life there's there's not really much room for joy or um, emotion Uh, and so i was kind of i don't know dead in a sense life was not nearly as bright um, during that time and so it's almost like (laughs) this this crazy bout of terror was like getting hit with a lightning bolt. I don't know. Maybe here's an analogy. Let's say I was like a battery that was dead, and I just got supercharged with a ton of electricity. And this thing, I mean, it it was crazy. Because like I said, I've never ever had night terrors before or after then. So, whatever. I'm I'm 27 now, 27 and a half. So, what's that? You know. Three hundred sixty-five nights I've slept, times twenty-seven. So I don't know. I've, I mean, since I was a childhood, since since I can remember, I've probably slept for a good eight thousand nights or so. So the odds of this happening, the one night that I prayed for a sign, one in an eight thousand, and um, yeah, right then I submitted. I said, okay, yes, God you exist i submit like jesus christ you are lord (laughs) and so that really just sparked a whole new passion in my life um i remember actually it was funny I was driving to college the next day and i was like looking up at the sky i don't know i was so freaked out because after that moment at two in the morning i didn't go back to sleep and i had classes the next day but i was so freaked out it didn't even matter like i was i was shaking um and it's funny because before this happened, too, I would have been looking up like near-death experiences, which now that I'm more of a mature believer, that's definitely not um, <laughs> a solid or valid source to get your information on God or the afterlife. But um, there was just a lot of these near-death experiences, and um, though, though they might not be a source for accurate information, it kind of tells you, it can tell you something about uh, you know the existence of a supernatural or a spiritual realm. And I remember thinking all these people, okay, there's only three three possibilities. They're either just straight up lying. Um, they're either misguided, and they just happen to have this and it was some weird chemical, you know imbalance in their brain. Maybe they're a little crazy, and they thought it was something supernatural. Or the third option is that um, they're actually right. And so I was also researching that during this time. And so before this happened to me, if someone would have told me that story, I probably wouldn't have believed it. I probably would have shrugged it off or just thought, okay, that happened to you, but that's just a coincidence. You know, It's a coincidence that the one night out of the 8,000 nights that you've been here um, that you can remember that it's a coincidence that that happened that one night. I would have just shrugged it off, but now that it actually happened to me, I my world was changed, and I submitted to Christ right there. And um, I really just fell in love with researching uh, God and His Word, the Bible. Um, and I just what blew my mind was just how much I learned that I was not taught in church growing up. Like, I didn't even know Jesus was supposed to have a second coming. (laughs) And I mean, this is, you know, a kid who was made to go to church almost every Sunday for years. Um, And the sad thing is, I think that's a lot of churches. They, I don't know if they think, oh, we just need to baby our kids for years and years and not teach them the hard stuff at first. But um, it's a shame that many churches fail to engage the intellect because um we're called to love God with, you know, all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And Christianity is based on truth. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, Seek the truth and it shall set you free. That rhyme, it's pretty cool. Anyway, so to seek truth we need to engage our intellect. And so after this salvation moment which you know all who call upon the name of the lord shall be saved uh yahweh says multiple times in the bible if you seek me with all your heart i will reveal myself to you and i did that and he revealed himself to me and i just went on a i mean basically multi-year binge of just consuming all the content i could about apologetics god's existence theology and this was during nursing school, my three year nursing school. And I actually typed up about 200,000 words um, of content. It was spiritually exhausting, but I would research every topic, every atheist argument against God, every skeptical argument against the Bible. I would look at it and I would analyze it and just dissect it like crazy. And I would write little rebuttals um, just cause I, I like writing, and I'm, it, I, I don't know, it's kind of a nice pastime for me. I don't really do it anymore, but it was, it was a great learning experience to kind of type all out what I was learning. So I did that all through nursing school. Um, I was going to just like release some giant book, but then I thought, you know what, I should do shorter books because our generation has such a small attention span. And so um, I released a, two books. I self-published on Amazon. Called the Millennial Apology. There was Volume One, which uh, was why the Bible is the Word of God, and Volume Two, which was Atheism Debunked. And um, yeah, it's it's really hard to market your own book. <laughs> um, and the the title is the Millennial Apology of my books, just like this podcast is called the Millennial Apologist, because if you look at the stats, this generation, this Millennial generation is far less religious um, than the previous generation. Uh, A lot of people in this age group, uh, it's sad, they just don't care. I mean, a lot of the talks I've had with people, they they just say, they straight up don't care if God exists. Um, And a lot of them, I mean, they were not taught. You know, a lot of millennials did go to church every Sunday and a lot of them deconstructed Because, like I was talking about earlier, they were never taught the difficult questions. The the questions they had, a lot of times people just just shrugged them off. And you can't do that. Um, You need to answer these stumbling blocks that people present to you. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm a millennial, I relate to millennials, so I would love to reach this generation. Um, Too bad a lot of this generation doesn't read, though. (laughs) So... Yeah, the book thing didn't really work out. They're still up there on Amazon, but I just, my drive for that kind of died down because I figured, wow, I can't, you have to just keep dumping money in to self-market it and I can't be doing that. Um, so that kind of stopped. Um, I've graduated nursing school, uh, did a crazy adventure. I rollerbladed from Nashville, Tennessee to Atlanta, Georgia in uh, under seven days, and I published that video on YouTube. Uh, if you look up rollerblade Nashville, Tennessee to Atlanta, Georgia, you'll see it. And uh, a family friend sent that over to um, a family who he thought uh, the daughter would be a good match for me, and he was right because that is my current wife, Megan. And uh, yeah, I got a wife out of rollerblading 280 miles. So, guys, if you're single, that's all you got to do. Just uh, just do a crazy adventure and record it, and you'll get a girl that way. <laughs> no, but yeah, so um, met Megan, knew she was awesome. Um, you know, knew she was the one, and um, from the time we met to the time we got married was under 10 months. Um, bought a house uh, in San Luis Obispo County, California. Uh, worked as a nurse in a state hospital. Um, Not a very pleasant place to work. I work night shift as well. Um, You know, it's a violent place, it's a stressful place. And I actually though, during our first year of marriage, I got my master's in theology because I was working night shift. I could, um, you know, in my spare time work on that. And I kinda hoped that with a master's degree, a publisher would pick me up and I could start writing books. But after I got the master's degree, I don't know. I just kind of gave up on the whole book idea. Um, I really wanted to go, you know, teach like remote theology classes, stuff like that, apply to some jobs, never heard back. Um, And then just all the craziness of 2020 happened and all the COVID lockdowns and just the increased polarization of our country and um, having Christian values, being a fundamentalist, conservative Christian uh, we just thought it would be good to start looking at other states to move to um, because it was just really annoying in parts of California just such the heavy government control um, and then using COVID as an excuse to control the populace um, I mean, it's not only that though I mean it was also I mean the, medium, the median home value is like 850 or 900 where we're from so Yeah, if you're just starting out in your 20s, it's very, very, very difficult to afford to live there. So uh, we tested out a lot of other states. Uh, We vacationed to Idaho, to Texas, Utah, um, and we landed in Tennessee in a place called Cookville, Tennessee, right between Nashville and Knoxville. I'd actually heard of this um, city because I was watching a documentary on Netflix about uh, Rich Froning, who's this CrossFit athlete, um, and he was saying he lived in Cookville, Tennessee. And then I looked into Tennessee more and just how great it looked with the you know the no state income tax, um, the very conservative laws, um, the cost of living. I mean, my goodness, the housing here compared to where we're from is crazy cheap. Um, so, yeah, we just felt it on our heart and we just feel like truly it was a God thing. Everything just kind of came together so perfectly and we moved here. And after being here for about six months, I started this podcast last year, released 20 episodes, um, and then, I mean, I tried reaching out to some other Christian and apologetics influencers um, to try to gain more of an audience but didn't really hear anything back so I'm really passionate about things and if if I think in my mind that like something's not going anywhere it's really hard for me to keep doing that thing and so you know just all the brick walls I've hit with apologetics and theology Um, I'm still a nurse. I work remotely. It is pretty awesome. (laughs) But, I mean, if I could have some sort of ministry or theology or apologetics job full-time, I would love that. That's been my passion for years since I've been saved. Um, But, you know, just the constant um, rejection we're constantly hitting walls, um, it kind of builds up. And it's hard to maintain that passion and that drive, you know. So... Yeah, I've kind of stopped making podcasts for the last, I think it's going on five months or so. Like I said, we have been distracted with the new house and Airbnb things and traveling back and forth to the West Coast and all that. But yeah, so now here I am. Um, I may have forgotten some minor details, but I think that right there is the crux of my testimony and up until today. And I don't know what the future will hold, but um, I trust God. Um, And yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, Once again, this is Nathan. And I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the Millennial Apologist podcast. Bye.